0: there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Ali Fenn. Ali is the president of IT Renew, which is a company uh, really changing the way that information technology is recycled and reused, going from the Googles and Facebooks of this world all the way down into um, smaller businesses. Uh, In this conversation, we have a really good discussion about how taking a sabbatical helped Ali really focus in on that sweet spot for her, the perfect intersection of her passion and her expertise and how some other areas that she was thinking might be the way forward actually turned out not to be for her. We also look at how she's been able to create a movement effect and real thought leadership by bringing data to bear into the discussion. And we're looking at how she maintains focus and stays effective, um, faced with huge demand and a wave of new opportunities. I find Ali's passion uh, for what she does uh, infectious and the sense of purpose behind it is inspiring so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Ali Fenn. Hello Ali and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks Richard great to be here I appreciate you having me.
0: Well hey it's I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, because it sounds like you're doing an incredible number of innovative things in, in your business. Um, so why don't we just get straight into it. Um, You're the president of IT Renew. I know you've had a pretty diverse career up to up to there. So perhaps do you want to just give us like in that mini elevator pitch of what what are you doing now? You know what is IT Renew and what have been just a couple of those major milestones on the journey um, for you to move into that president role.
1: Sure, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll take that in reverse order because I think it uh, it'll it becomes clear as I do that I uh, the, yeah. the quick story about me is I I started my my career actually as a professional athlete which has a has carried with it sort of a theme of competitive nature and drive and so forth um, that's that's kind of transferred into my professional career as well in the tech space um, and I basically spent the last you know 20 years or so started as an investment banker doing technology deals and then moved into Uh, building companies right I realized very quickly as a banker that I was a player and not a coach and that I wanted to actually be hands on and build things and I've been building enterprise technology software as a service some hardware some cloud infrastructure technology companies uh, for the better part of the last couple of decades Um, and I find myself where I am today at IT Renew after taking um, what I what I think of as my adult gap year or walkabout uh, which I was fortunate to be able to do in 2015 uh, a time that I, I sort of stepped back and had the opportunity to take a year off and really question, like, to what end? Like, I, I've i had a, a very, you know, by, by most definitions, a very successful career. I'm quite proud of the work I've done, but I was at a point where I really wanted to kind of reconcile what I was doing with my personal mm-hmm. interests and why and do a little bit of a gut check on it. And I found myself focused on my personal passions around sustainability and in the environment, got very focused on, first marine litter and plastics and waste and so forth and found my way into circular economy. And then as I kind of revisited, okay, how do I turn that back into the next phase of my career, my professional career? um, You know, it became clear that the opportunity for me was not to go become a marine biologist in the middle of my career, But instead to think about how do I build technology companies, do business model innovation to help us enable a more circular and less wasteful, less consumptive kind of a society. Um, And importantly, do that in a way that's not, you know, these are, it's not in conflict with capitalism, right? I mean, growth and economic prosperity, all these things are quite feasible and even even better if we think about more circular and more regenerative models. And so I was fortunate enough to find my way, get introduced to, to ID and the CEO of IT Renew. And IT Renew is a company which is operationalizing a circular economy at global scale for the IT hardware sector. So think of all the massive data centers that power everything that we do. There are millions and millions and millions of servers and racks of storage and networking and you know, compute infrastructure deployed globally, and that's only getting bigger and bigger. And so it's you know historically posed a huge threat from an e-waste perspective from a carbon perspective and so forth, a materials minerals perspective, and if we can think about doing much more interesting things with the, that equipment, creating second lives, third lives, really interesting mm. kind of cascading pathways for equipment, there's a huge sustainability opportunity. So it was, it's a way for me to combine sort of my professional expertise in tech and my personal passion for sustainability and climate, and uh, and so here I am.
0: I think yeah, that's really inspiring in fact i i realize it shouldn't be me doing this um interview it should be my wife at this point because she's uh <laughs> she's a sustainability director uh, in a tech company so we'll, we should get you two together at some point sure. um so there's lovely things you said there i mean first of all i love you know this sense of purpose and passion that comes out of, of what you just said um but perhaps we get to that let's just jump back to that gap year um because that sounds like it was a pivotal moment for you yeah, well, what caused you to take the gap year? And like for many people, it sounds appealing and then you get there and you're not doing anything and that can be quite hard, right? So just tell <laughs> us a little bit about that journey.
1: Sure. You know, I, um, it, the journey came from a couple of experiences I had. I mean, I had, as I said, i had been having a, a, a quite rewarding and fulfilling career and in, in building tech companies and doing interesting things and working with very smart people. Um, but I did get to, to this point of, like, this question kept in, in my head, to what end, right? And there were a couple of things that were not sitting well with my, my personal, you know, care about the environment. And one of them was that I was most recently at, at Seagate, which is a, a fantastic leader in the, the storage space and the drive, hard, hard drive space and so forth. But I saw firsthand the fact that for privacy reasons, millions and millions of drives get shredded every year by everybody after a first life. And wow. so there's just this tremendous waste. And I remember that there were people in the company who were, you know, we, we owned the whole vertical stack from the from the drive to the solutions. And there were people who were saying, you know, we, we mine the minerals out of the ground. And this was like this vertical integration advantage. And I kept thinking, but oh, we're mining the minerals out of the ground, right? <laughs> And so, so I, I was conflicted about that. Um, I was conflicted about the fact that I was flying all over the world all the time to Asia and Europe Mm -hmm. and everywhere. And, you know, I just, I just started to have this kind of shadow about the environmental consequence of technology. Um, And, and that was really, that was part of the issue. And then part of the issue is that I'm just personally crazy passionate about kind of all things ocean, right? I love to dive. Mm -hmm. I love to surf. I love to swim. I love to sail. I I, I live Mm -hmm. on the ocean and. And I, and I, this, this issue of plastics and marine waste and so forth was also a big, big, sort of the cloud on the other shoulder. And so I just thought, you know what, let me step back and see if, if I want to course correct in any way. Right. Um, And my gap here was, was not a year where I didn't do anything. Fortunately, I just kind of dove right in the deep end. I went to Honduras and did became a dive master and did research with whale sharks and in wow. aquaculture and in growing coral and and you know as I said, quickly realized that while that's fascinating, I wasn't going to suddenly spend my life under the oceans. I needed to actually make a living and so forth. Um,
0: and I, yeah, didn't but it not- helps, doesn't it? It helps when you when you actually. I mean, rather than just sitting in your room thinking, "What am I going to do with my life?" Right. Getting out there, doing something, new experiences—that's so, it, it, it right—gets well, brain thinking differently.
1: And it gave me the perspective of, "Hey, I don't want to throw away all the stuff I've built. I've built yeah. expertise and experience, and let me apply that." Right.
0: Well, I had um, I had one um, one client who was um, he wasn't a CEO. He was, but he was aiming to be. You know, he was like, "This is my goal. I want to." Um, and he wasn't that far away. Um. wanted it of a multi-billion dollar tech company and um we were talking about giving back and you know his desire to give back and his various things but it he was his thinking was well you know it'd be good for me to find you know like some way that I could perhaps go and you know serve in a soup kitchen or something which is perfect Mm -hmm. I mean great and there's a spiritual discipline of like just humbling yourself and doing you know whatever it is Great. Why not? But in terms of like, hang on, you know, you're somebody who's practically a CEO or, you know, has potential to be one of this tech company. You've got this network, You've got this wealth, frankly, you've got these resources in the company and your personal. Um, just think about how you could turn those to use right. because only you can do that. Right. Only you can make an impact in that way. Right. And I love it when people kind of start to join the dots like that and think, what am I? What's my Venn diagram? that yeah. I'm uniquely positioned to do. It sounds yeah. like you found your little dot in that.
1: Well, that it's part kind of an overall theme. I mean, I've I realized later in my career that there's no such thing as work-life balance, right? Your work and your life are integrated. They're mm. not separate things. Like, I, I, I have long since stopped trying to think, oh, I'm going to try to create this separate but balanced, you know, something um, and it's the same thing, right, my personal passions, the things I care about, I've found a way to integrate them with my professional interests, which is great, I also do that with the other stuff, the day-to-day stuff, right, movement, meditation, uh, you know, family, space, yeah, I, I, I work really hard, it's not always easy, but I've found that it's really important to integrate those things, because it's not, there's, you just can't, I've, I personally have not been able to design a life where you can have both things be totally fulfilling and rewarding and satisfied, but separate. It's just mm. too much, right? They're too intertwined.
0: So apart from the work part where you, you know, clearly you find a topic and, uh, you know, things that light you up and we go with that. But some of those other things, how do you integrate some of those other things you just mentioned? I'm just keen to kind of get, you know, get tactical for a second. You know, what what do you do to integrate you think she said movement, meditation, whatever. Um, family. Yeah,
1: part of it is part of it is time management, right? I mean, this is you know, I've found that I definitely need to schedule the things that matter, right? Mm-hmm. So I need to schedule time and be rigid about what gets overbooked and what doesn't get overbooked, and where obviously things are. There's never it's never black and white. There are, there are exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, I try to really protect my morning so that I get my head in the right space, I get some physical movement, physical activity. And then I increasingly, especially now that we're so trapped behind computers and remote and Zoom and everything else, I have made a real you know, commitment to myself and, and communicated it to my teams and so forth that I'm gonna walk during a lot of these calls, right? Yeah. So I get out, it's good for my sanity. There's many, many occasions where you don't need to be staring at each other and you can have just as, as fruitful a conversation and actually more creative when you're out walking and moving yeah. and more freeform.
0: Right? Yeah, so, people, people have forgotten we don't always have to be staring into each other's eyes, you know, for every conversation, especially if we know them and our colleagues.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, and actually on the sustainability theme, um, as I mentioned my wife earlier, you know, she's part of a sustainability uh, team. Um, uh, and they've made a commitment actually to turn off um, video on a lot of their calls just because of the extra bandwidth and consumption oh, and all the rest of it so right. because they've, they did the calculations and they were like it's great but we don't need it every time we're on the you know we're right. on all these calls every day we don't need to see each other all the time so
1: that's really interesting I wonder I, I would be really interested to see an analysis of you know, in the last year with the with the exponential increase in the use of video conferencing, what mm. the carbon impact of that
0: is. I would yeah. be really
1: interested to see.
0: Yeah, so that's um that's an interesting one. Um okay so so let's so let's jump in. So you um so obviously this this passion, um you know this kind of finding this point in the Venn diagram um was was a key moment for you. And so um so tell us a bit about the journey with IT renew um um you president so kind of what, what do you get to do as president um uh, yeah w- what what are you kind of focused on
1: sure so i uh i joined the company as chief innovation officer um nearly 3 years ago and then about 18 months ago i was made president um in 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 the current role i oversee all of our revenue generating activities so our business is as i said we we orchestrate this global circular model for the it hardware industry we work with uh, almost all of the major hyperscale cloud companies to so think of, you know, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Uber, Dropbox, those kinds of companies. Um, we help them to decommission all of their outbound, very, very large scale fleets of servers and stuff that comes out of data centers. And then we create markets for those, those systems and those resources downstream. So sometimes they go into the market as, as reconfigured, recertified, or more general-purpose rack-scale solutions that go into data centers. Sometimes they get remanufactured into into different form factors of compute and storage that go into different edge kind of environments. And sometimes they get sold as office components. And then, of course, everything else gets recycled. Um, and so we have this this kind of mix of downstream markets and different different go-to-market motions. So the solutions business for data centers is one thing. The solutions business for remanufactured things going into edge is another thing with different kinds of partners, different kinds of deployment models. And then the components business is altogether different altogether, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so my focus is uh, those upstream relationships. I oversee all of the work we do with the hyperscale clients. And then I oversee all of the go-to-market on the downstream side of the business. So across that spectrum of markets and teams and sort of sales Mm -hmm. motions, um, what I don't oversee, what I, I partner with our CEO on is the operation side of the business. So you can right. imagine to do all of this, we have yeah. facilities globally where we are receiving equipment, transforming equipment, and so forth, and that piece, is, that piece is, is directly related to everything I do, although not under my direct
0: purview. Hello, it's Richard here with a quick interlude. These conversations are all about upgrading how you think about creating impact. So here's a resource to help you do just that whilst staying fast and focused. The CEO's Checklist for Challenging Times is a quick way to enhance your thinking and detect blind spots, even when things are moving incredibly fast and you're not sure what's going to happen next. You can get this powerful checklist of 17 world-class strategies by heading to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash go challenging times checklist with a hyphen between each of those three last words now back to the conversation got it so okay so very external facing role what was your success formula right so what are those two or three things that you possibly have used before but that brings you to life and, and 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 allows you to do what you do because obviously everyone has different ways of getting generating their results and and making things happen and having an impact So, um, it sounds like you, I'm just guessing, but it sounds like you're quite, you could be quite close to your sweet spot at this point in your career, having made some key moves, you know, you know what you probably want to do and how you do it. So what are those things that are kind of combining at the moment to take things forward?
1: Yeah, I do feel like I'm in my sweet spot. I feel incredibly fortunate and grateful on a day in and day out basis, despite the kind of ebbs and flows of of the business, uh, because I am in this spot where I've been able to combine a lot of my expertise and experience with my passions. I think my, you know, the general currents of sort of how I've gotten here are, you know, start with the athletic stuff, right? It's competitive drive, right? I'm very, very focused on getting to success and not just personal success, but win-win success, like aggregate success. And uh, so so that's sort of underpinned a lot of my, you know, different career pursuits and how I found my way to this spot, you know, more tactically, I, I, I try to bring, you know, kind of data and evidence to bear to, Uh to be very rooted in, in, in solid kind of backing to get people excited and passionate and working towards a really shared mission, right? And so then, once you can do that, if you can do that and it's not just I'm telling somebody to be excited about something, but there's really a compelling case to be made and it's exciting, then I think you can get a team that is like authentically vision aligned and not just internal teams, but an ecosystem, right? That's what we're trying to do here. That's what I want to do in the large in my life is get, you know, catalyze movements and people and, and progress and change and transformation. And I think that only happens if you've really got this foundation of kind of data and evidence that people can lean on to say, "Aha! Not only does that intuitively make sense to me, but I can back it up." Right? There's really there's great analysis there, and then you can get people like authentically aligned, and then they work towards common goals, right? Because they're not working towards somebody else's goal; they're working towards something they care about, right? So I think, you know, that's sort of the way I approach things. And obviously, there's a whole other level of. How do you implement that in teams and everything else? But on the surface, you know, that's what I try to do is get people super excited and passionate about it. So they're not just, you know, following me or working with me or the company because they took the job, but because they deeply care about it. Right. And thankfully, most of the people in our space now do really deeply care about this mix of technology and sustainability.
0: Uh, it's interesting you know this whole idea about data you know having data to rally people and, and get them brought in is a theme of another of these discussions that i did actually recently so it's really interesting that it's it's coming up again what's you know do you have an example of you know time where you like where you've been able to bring data to kind of rally team around because i know sometimes at the very highest level of a mission perhaps it's it's you know you because you can have the resources to go and do the research but there's, there's plenty of goals and sub goals and things where it can be pretty hard to to get all the facts together, right? So how do you kind of navigate that?
1: Yeah, well, I can give you an example from IT Renew. I mean, we, um, you know, I think most people, most people would acknowledge that we have a climate challenge. um, And most people understand that we have an e-waste challenge. Um, Most people have heard that we were depleting the earth's resources at a rate greater than Mm -hmm. we can sustain. Um, And those things are intuitive. They make sense to people. But in terms of compelling, having those facts compel a changed behavior from a business decision-making perspective, a financial decision-making perspective, a purchasing perspective, it's sort of like, you know, in the past, this sustainability thing has been, well, that's really nice to have. I'd love to check that box, but not if it's any less convenient and not if it's any more expensive and not if it's any of this and any of that, right? Hmm. Um, and what we, what we did at IT Renew is say, how do we actually, like we, we're advocating and evangelizing this circular economic model. We believe that recertified IT equipment should be like like certified pre-owned BMWs where there's no compromise to performance or quality or warranty or anything else. It's every bit as good, half the cost, much more sustainable. How do we, how do we get that? How do we get people to actually believe that and change their behavior based on it? Whether that's upstream or downstream participants yeah. in the ecosystem, And what we did was we did a ton of research. We did a full life cycle analysis on racks of compute equipment Mm. so that we could prove that as much as 75% of the carbon impact comes from the manufacturing stage in a lot of common deployment models. Mm. And then we produced a report on this and we published it and we made it available so that we could then go to the market and say, Hey, I'm not just telling you this. You don't just have to believe in your gut that circular economy makes sense. Like there's real evidence of the fact that this makes a meaningful difference, and that at scale, this is like taking you know millions and millions of cars off the road every year. It's like it's like eliminating you know millions of trucks full of e-waste and so forth. And so then people start to say, "Aha, okay, now I can get behind that." Right. So and, and we use that not just to get the company excited and to give the company the words and the, the data to tell their own stories, but also to compel the ecosystem to say, "And you know, I." I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, you know, most of, the, most of the time in this day and age, you have to pay to get keynotes at various things. And with this data, we've been able to be invited, free of charge to do keynotes at a lot of different forums because people, are, people care about this, right? We have the largest companies in the world making big net zero carbon commitment goals. And yet people are still trying to figure out what are the tools and tactics to get there? How am I gonna measure it? How am I gonna get credit for it? And so I think that's where, it's a good example of us saying, hey, we need to bring data to this story so that people yeah. can act as opposed Perfect. to just think.
0: Right? right. Perfect. Yeah. And that makes your thought leader, right? When you have the data, um, you're able to draw conclusions, show things, uh, open doors, everything yep. else. Yep. Um, so hearing there, yeah, so you're somebody who's competitive, you know, you love to win win you, you're a data driven, um, um and yet I guess at this stage you are you 're in this moment where you 're opening up so many doors in the business, so many avenues for the business, right because what you 're doing is you 're breaking new ground in the industry uh, and to break new ground you can 't do it in one area normally you 've got to do it in many different parts of the value chain of the ecosystem, mm-hmm. so that that 's potentially um, you know creating a huge amount of complexity and, and areas of focus so how do you kind of? You know, what's your what's been your thinking around how do I going to manage this exploding set of opportunities, whilst only having you know twenty four hours in the day?
1: Mm. Uh, it's very challenging, and I will candidly say I have I'm far from mastering it. It's not an easy one. Yeah, but this you know I, I, this is this is probably my biggest focus area at the moment. Um, there are no short there is no shortage of Things we could go do and things to try and opportunities to go develop. Um, we are in a space that is exploding. We have partners that we have are some of the largest in the world. We have to, we have to make markets happen at very, very large scale, very quickly. Um, and so yeah, you're right. Like there's only 24 hours in a day. So I think, you know, for me, this is probably the biggest challenge as a, as a leader, but also for my team team members. Mm. Um, And it's it's about time management. It's about focus. I mean, I personally, when I started my career as an investment banker, I was a a, like fresh out of school analyst as a banker. Mm. And I was known I was I I had a reputation as the most efficient analyst. Like when other people were spending all night in the bank, I would somehow figure out a way to get out of there at 2 a.m. Right. Like I could get stuff done more quickly. And it was just focus. But I didn't have any noise then. I just had one job. I was just an analyst. I had one job. I didn't have any noise. Right. Yeah. And now, you know, of course, there's many, many, many more things. And so to me, it really comes down to two things. One is how do you delegate with confidence? And the other is time management. Um, And on the first one, you know, it's really, you know, about creating a, a, how do you create a culture that's fully about empowerment, accountability, and trust so that people can run and people can build their own businesses Mm-hmm. And 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 let you spend, let me spend less time and energy on kind of some of the lower level decision making. Um, but the risk of doing that is that you let people run, and they suddenly you have silos and communication gaps, and you don't have the transparency mm-hmm. that you need to have the confidence. Right. So the confidence is what lets lets you delegate. Um, so I think there's, you know, there. What I'm trying to do continuously is implement the right level of kind of rigor and process and systems so that people, people know there's this good pro quo. You get to run if our vision is aligned and if you're following the process sufficiently that we don't have communication gaps. And at any given moment in time, we can see exactly what's happening in the business and we can all jump in to collaborate and jump in to do joint problem solving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: People aren't suddenly off the, you know, off the plantation. Right. And so yeah. So that's a huge thing for me is that culture of how do you create this division of labor and yet an accountability and yet joint problem solving and transparency
0: right yeah well it's interesting, yeah I have a a concept called the transparency bargain which is um which is eyes on hands off, so the deal yeah. is you know um mm-hmm. is i do you know I do need visibility mm-hmm. right so visibility is not a lack of trust, but it actually allows me at that point because I have the visibility. That's right. not to get involved. However, the, the danger is that throughout history it's been shown when leaders get more visibility, they micromanage more, right? It's why, it's why the right. Navy, you know, admirals got to sail around the world representing the king or the emperor and uh, generals in the army had to kind of send somebody back on a horse every night to get new instructions because yeah. when you can control, leaders feel that they can do it. But if you actually really create that um, that agreement of, okay, you know, visibility you know i need visibility because there's all these other things going on but i'm not going to get involved in operational decisions right then that's a a deal that most people can kind of swallow
1: right right yeah and ultimately you know when i find when i'm when it works then i find myself in a position of not having to make the decisions but being but knowing enough to be able to ask questions about how the decisions are being made and why they're being made and then people feel more empowered and they also then they ask questions and to me the more questions people are asking the better it is not the worse it is right that's a healthy yeah. thing yeah
0: exactly so it sounds like it sounds like you're at this one of these key um int- impact multiplier moments to be honest which is you know you the complexity is growing so fast that for you to keep doing what you were doing last year you know is actually not going to work next year so you have to play a different part mm-hmm. in this system right. and multiply yourself and multiply that that's
1: right and because it's not it's the plethora of markets that we're trying to develop and the things we're trying to do but it's also the team is physically growing from you know a smaller number to a bigger number and yeah. so you go from a, a truly more startup phase for a given initiative even though the company is not in any way a startup but in a given initiative it goes from a startup phase where you have a, a small number of people doing all of the things yeah. to a bigger number of people and division of labor and suddenly then you have to consciously say okay where are the bottlenecks everybody doesn't need to be involved in everything anymore. How do you sort of break that up and start to, you know, separate and divide and conquer and so forth. So it is very much compounded by the, the cascading of different market opportunities, the team growth and all that Mm. sort of stuff as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, and uh, often leaders, when we're fast acting, you know, that can actually, yeah, that, that kind of um, wanting to do it fast (laughs) <laughs> actually becomes a bottleneck. You know, I like to say you can't change gear when your foot's on the accelerator, you know? And and often that, that instinctive, like, there's a problem, I can solve it. There's another one I can solve that. That's and right. we don't build those structures. That's that right. Allow us to scale.
1: I definitely personally wrestle with it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of my clients do. I think it's um, um, just because, to be honest, once you get to a certain level, you know, you've got there on the basis of that um, problem solving you know you can probably solve the problem faster than, than anybody else around but that's not skill can't be the bottom net. yeah exactly and uh, I would say you know do you go fast or do you build the team you know and right. do you go fast or do you build momentum it's, uh, right. it's these right. kind of things um, right that's right um, yeah very that's interesting right. so, um, so I think we've talked um, about some great subjects you know and we've really got onto even as as we spoke about that about the future because often you know i ask people where's the future for you but i think we've really been talking about that right this multiplying of the team of uh, the opportunities that you address um but you know but that kind of thing aside like given all of that all of those dynamics what would you if you were to put your finger on it and say here's the transition which you're gonna to have to go on, Ali, on that journey. What's, what's that shift in leadership that you think awaits you in the next couple of years?
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, if, if you're, if I'm thinking about sort of what my next level of impact is, right, I, I obviously want this company to be successful. I think if this company is successful, then we will have had a meaningful impact on the, on the climate situation, which is great. But I would actually like to change the environmental trajectory of the technology industry in the large, right. Um, I I genuinely believe, right, the tech industry is the biggest industry in the world. It has the most powerful positive potential for impact uh, of anything because it touches everything. It's pervasive, right. And yet there's this kind of negative, dirty underbelly, and it's not just the IT equipment. It's things like, you know, artificial intelligence consumes an enormous amount of energy, right? Yeah. So the more high tech we get, the more environmental burden we
0: carry, right? Yeah, so- make a wait, make, make a make a Bitcoin transaction and see how much energy you've exactly. just used, right? Um,
1: exactly, exactly. Um, and so, so I think there there's a there's a bigger game to be played here, and you know candidly i don't i don't know what i don't know yet but i would like to be able to continue this this dialogue and to be to catalyze the bigger picture change and to get you know to 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 make sure that we're being long sighted in our in our growth plans and our technology strategies and so forth Um, And that's going to require, you know, a different set of more diverse experiences for me personally, right? A different set of learnings, a different type of pursuit of data, different relationships, right? It probably Mm. involves more public sector relationships, more philanthropic industry relationships to converge more parts of the ecosystem to be able to pull these pieces together. Um, So I think, you know, I think the work we're doing is a stepping stone, but it's, Mm. it's that. I think ultimately there's a, there's, you know, I would like personally to say, hey, there's, this is a piece of the puzzle, but there's a lot more. And ultimately, this is a conversation not for tech companies, but for every one of us, right? I mean, every single one of us touches this, whether we know it or not, in every aspect of our lives. And uh, and the onus is on us to create a conversation where people who are not in the tech industry understand the consequences of these things and are holding their vendors and suppliers and product manufacturers and service providers accountable, right? So I, for me, that's where I'd like to go. and. Uh, I, I think there's an immense amount of learning I need to do to be able to get there and have that impact. But I think, um, you know, hopefully what, what I've been working on is valuable and then we'll, we'll figure out where the next, you know, minds are for interesting information and opportunity to go help catalyze that change
0: yeah fantastic yeah we we build the nodes and then we build the connections between the nodes and that's the next mm. level often you know you create you create something of value and then suddenly what are all the connections possible and the value is often in the connections and we didn't even spot them to start with right it's uh it's the exactly. gaps in between things that are where the value very is often so. created
1: very much so yeah.
0: well ali I've, I've enjoyed our conversation thanks so much for you know uh, sharing your story sharing some of the challenges and and just the I guess the passion and excitement and um, thank you for what you're doing, to be honest, because our world needs it. Right. And um, I think a lot of listeners, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people are in tech and related industries. And I think there is a responsibility uh, for the whole industry to to have a look at what it's doing and do it better. So thank you for being a leader.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, Richard. I, I really appreciate it.
0: Many thanks. Bye now, Ali. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.